You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. My name is Tim Coe and today on the podcast my guest is Dr David Oldham. David, welcome. Thanks very much Tim, pleasure to be here. David, uh, you work at the Doctors Health Advisory Service, um, but tell us a bit more about yourself. Okay, um, I graduated in Western Australia and uh, did my GP training here. Um, I got an interest in doctor's health in my intern year when I noted a lot of colleagues were um, stressed and um, there wasn't a lot of uh, help available to them and in fact someone in my intern year actually attempted suicide and someone else in my intern year died of breast cancer. So um, I thought gee there's um, doctors do get sick because there was a general recognition in the um, in the hospital system at the time that doctors didn't get sick and to talk about ill health and doctors was a bad thing. So that's my interest in doctors health. Um, since then I've continued in general practice but also worked with GP trainees and for the last 10 years I've worked in the public hospital system part-time working with um, junior doctors, uh, particularly interns and residents and see that many of the problems that were around when it, I was an intern um, are still the same. Mm. Also, my uh, daughter, she's recent, she's currently completing her GP training and she gives me a little bit more um, background from the coalface and again, she tells me that um, whilst there's a greater awareness of doctor's health issues, there's still a lot more that could be done, particularly at uh, uh, hospital level and um, tapping into GPs is still an issue. Mm. Yeah, look, that's a, a really interesting journey you've been on. It certainly gives you a, a lot of great insights into looking after doctors, which is, I mean, it's a really complex and important role, isn't it? It is. Um, there's been a, quite a wealth of uh, literature now on the, uh, about doctors. Doctors aren't very good at uh, uh, being patients, and also doctors aren't very good at um, treating other doctors. So there's... Um, uh, a lot of areas that we can uh, look into and uh, work on. And I think that's the interesting thing about the conversation today that it's very much, the, the thing I'm becoming aware of is it's this this concept of doctors looking after doctors is almost becoming it's an area unto its own, isn't it? It's sort of, it's not just a, a small part of, of, of medicine, it's a significant thing it's, and they are patients with significant needs. Well, that's right. Um, Doctors uh, do have significant needs, um, the same as the general population, but also uh, particularly for mental health issues. Uh, they are higher in doctors in the general population, and we can, we can talk more about that. Um, and also doctors aren't very good at accessing health, even though we're meant to be experts in the health system. <laughs> uh, actually using it ourselves, um, we're not as good as the general public. So let's pick up on that, David. Um, Access is an issue and, and knowing where to go is quite simply the issue for the, the barrier for a lot of doctors. Um, there are a, a number of doctors for doctor services across the states. Where can doctors find out about medical services that are specific for doctors? Right, there's um, historically each of the states has developed a, a doctor's health advisory service or equivalent over the last 10, 20 years and an informal network has developed. Um, between the states. A formal organisation has been set up uh, in all the states, um, most recently in Western Australia, 
and in uh, last year, 2016, the Medical Board actually provided funding for um, doctors' health advisory services, so there, there is a formal entity in each state. Um, the level of service varies between states. For example, in Victoria, they actually provide case management of alcohol and drug problems. Uh, in South Australia, they provide um, uh, checkups, mm. and uh, I think uh, about 10% of the doctors in South Australia have actually had a checkup through one of their services and subsequently been linked in to a GP follow-up. Um, in Western Australia, what we do is uh, we see our role mainly as promotional and we encourage people to link into existing health services. Um, we do provide a crisis support line. Uh, again, we try to link people in. Uh, most of our callers don't have a GP uh, who could actually help coordinate, uh, follow up and um, uh, help them treatment of their problem. And so that's a large part of our role is linking them into existing services uh, via their current, via a GP. So you're improving access, but the other thing I've really noticed is that you're also really working on developing the craft of being a doctor for doctors as well. So there's a lot more work going into educating GPs in particular about how to be a, a good or great doctor for, to look after other doctors. Um, well, that's right. There's been, uh, again, there's been literature on this, and South Australia have, um, when they were developing their checkup model, they asked doctors, you know, why don't you have a doctor? Because the literature shows that only about a third to a half of doctors actually have a GP. Uh, um, and a lot of the specialists were saying the reason they don't see a GP is because they had a bad experience. Um, and so South Australia's brought in some training program for GPs about how to make it a good experience. And we're actually going to be replicating one of their um, workshops later uh, in a month's time. But there is this literature uh, out there that shows that um, doctors are uncomfortable being patients and also treating doctors somehow, perhaps subconsciously, treat their doctor patients different to other patients. Mm -hmm. um, and a few of the states have been running these Doctors for Doctors workshops now and from that they're learning that there, there are certain differences that need to be taken into account both as a doctor patient and as a treating doctor uh, treating doctors. Yeah, it's very, very complex, that's for certain. And I guess, I mean, let's talk about that now. What are the problems that are, say, more common and also more severe in doctors? So what's ma what makes looking after doctors tricky? Okay. Um, first of all, there's, there's evidence that doctors who treat themselves, um, so doctors who treat themselves, who do their own referrals, who do their own prescriptions, have a worse overall health status than doctors who have a GP. Mm. So that's pretty well um, uh, confirmed by the literature. So it's in everyone's best interest to, to have a, a GP. Uh, secondly, the patients of doctors who treat themselves tend to have a worse outcome than those wow. doctors who um, see a GP. So we can ultimately say that a healthy doctor means healthier patients as well. Um, 
with regards to specific health problems, um, doctors have the same physical illnesses as the general population, uh, except they have they have fewer smoking-related incidents. So doctors were about the first professional group to stop smoking, and so they have a lower incidence of smoking illnesses. But otherwise, their physical health is similar to the general population. What we do know, though, is doctors who treat themselves tend to present late, uh, sometimes too late, uh, when their condition is uh, beyond cure, and. Um, and also they're not very good at, uh, when they do prescribe treatment, at using the best treatment. Where doctors do fall down is with psychological health. Um, that's the main area. And there was a, a landmark study done by Beyond Blue, in 2000, published in 2013, where they surveyed every single doctor and medical student in Australia. So over 40,000 doctors were surveyed. Um, about 12,000 doctors responded to the survey, so it was, it was uh, a good response rate. And the statistics from that are fairly alarming. Um, for example, what it showed was at, at the time of the survey, 6% of doctors described having high psychological distress um, compared with about uh, 2 to 3% of the general population. So at any one time, doctors are sort of twice as stressed as the general population. Um, it also showed that 25% uh, or one in four doctors had had thoughts of suicide prior to the previous 12 months. So one in four doctors prior to the previous 12 months um, had seriously considered suicide. And within the past previous 12 months, 10%, uh, one in 10 doctors had, had thoughts of suicide. So it's a real issue and those thoughts of suicide are twice that of the general population. So that, look, there's some really important messages there. So let's just go through them. Number one, if you're a doctor who looks after yourself, firstly, you're, you actually have poorer health outcomes. And then secondly, your patients have worse health outcomes. So that, that in its own is great reason. Beyond that, doctors specifically have higher levels of stress um, and a, a significant predisposition to mental health issues. That's right. The, um, the other thing with the... It's not only major psychological illness doctors have, but uh, the level of burnout is extremely high. It's, um, in junior doctors, it's about 50% mm. of junior doctors are burnt out. And even in older doctors, it's about a third of doctors. So high predisposition to burnout, um, high predisposition to uh, mental health issues. Yeah. Um, let's talk about high-risk groups of doctors now, David. Um, are there any um, groups of doctors that are particularly high-risk? Um, if we talk in terms of... Uh, so doctors who look after themselves are yep. at a high risk um, for a number of reasons that we've, we've already mentioned. Um, other doctors that tend to be at particular risk of um, psychological problems, um, there are individual factors and there are group factors. So if we look at groups of doctors who are at risk, um, interns uh, is a very high risk, 50% burnout. There's also people doing their specialty training, particularly in the year of their exam. Um, they have a high stress level. Uh, surgical trainees 
have a, have a very stressful training program. Um, they essentially have to shut out their life for a number of years um, in order to complete training. Also uh, rural doctors, particularly rural doctors from uh, who are international medical graduates new to Australia, they can find rural practice extremely isolating and, uh, and they can have difficulties with psychological stress. Um, and medical students doing their final year exams also find that stressful. So they're the main groups of doctors who have problems. Uh, in terms of individual factors, um, there's certainly uh, people with a history of depression. So uh, as you know, depression often comes out in uh, late teenage, early 20s. So often as a medical student, they have depression. And of course, they're, so they're prone to ongoing depression later in life. Um, similarly, those with um, chronic or past history of anxiety and other psychological problems. Yeah, so probably pretty predictable groups there. And certainly you think about probably doctors going through the very high and stressful moments in their career, that's when they're at highest risk, basically. Yeah, yeah. There, there is a, a third factor to consider, and that is sort of like the environmental support. Yeah. And we do know that um, some health services or organisations are more supportive than doctors. So even if you have two doctors with the same um, psychological profile, as it were, uh, one can um, succeed and the other one can have problems um, based largely on the support given to them by their organisation. So there's organisational factors as well. Uh, what about sort of personal things like, so do doctors say have higher rates of relationship failure and, and so forth? The, um, the statistics aren't so clear on that. Um, certainly doctors have at least the same rate of relationship problems, uh, drug and alcohol problems as a general population um, and we're not immune to those things. Mm, yeah, interesting. Okay, well the next discussion is one that really fascinates me. It is this discussion around self-doctoring. Let's just go straight from the outset and say self-doctoring is bad, David, correct? <laughs> well, that's, that's the um, party line given by various um, uh, groups such as uh, Medical Board. Um, having said that, it's not always that black and white, and I think we need to be realistic when we talk about self-doctoring. Uh, what do we actually mean by it? And the more you look into it, the more complex and less straightforward it is. Mm. Uh, it's easy to say that doctors should not treat at all. They should not self-treat their families at all. Um, but the reality is much more complex than that. Yeah, you get into this sort of shades of grey. And look, I'm going to be very clear from the outset. I'm not advocating self-doctoring here. I'm, in, in, in fact, quite the opposite. I, I was reflecting on this on the drive in here today and I was thinking, really, actually, there's not a lot of reasons why you shouldn't go and see your GP. But then I, I sort of reflected, well, what are the times where I've sort of done things? I, I can remember needing an OPG before my, my wisdom tooth came out, so I referred myself for an OPG. Uh, I would call that a fairly low level of, of complexity, I suppose. So, I mean, I, I'm, that would be my threshold is to sort of say, that's probably okay. Yeah, I think, um, I think this is a discussion we need to sort of bring out of the closet and accept it's a reality that some degree of self-treatment is normal. Uh, mm -hmm. It's normal be human behaviour. 
to self-treat to some extent. Um, on the other hand, there are clearly some things where it's inappropriate to self-treat. And so, for example, prescribing with narcotics or S8 drugs uh, would be inappropriate to treat yourself or, or family members with those. Um, and between that, there's a, there's a large shade of grey. So the big note, no to, to no, schedulites and narcotics, um, no to self-prescribing for medications that might affect your judgment and impairment, or impair your judgment, I should say. Uh, so say no to anti, you know, or, or mental health medications like antidepressants and so forth. Yeah, I think there would be general acceptance in people who've thought about this issue. And I must say there isn't a lot of literature on this, mm. um, so there isn't a lot of research on it. But for those people who have the thought about it, um, there's general agreement that people should not prescribe psychotropics um, for a couple of reasons. First, um, prescribing of antidepressants, for example, is um, antidepressants themselves can um, certainly the older ones can have various side effects and affect judgment but secondly um, if someone's bad enough to need treating with antidepressants they probably need professional counseling and support mm -hmm. and so it's good practice for them to have a GP those who tend to go on a load run into all sorts of problems yeah I mean, so I wonder, I might actually poll people actually on this after the podcast. You know, for example, you know, how many people would write a script for the pill for themselves? Um, how many people would write scripts for antibiotics for themselves when they've got a, you know, clear-cut infection, basically? Yeah, I think um, if you look at it, a little bit of research on this has been done by... Um, my counterpart in Queensland, Margaret Kay, she's described a model where uh, we're, we're humans and it's normal human behaviour to, if you get an illness, to ask family and friends what's going on. And um, uh, so I think that would be normal behaviour. Then if you're needing further help, it would be to go to someone such as, with some medical training, such as a nurse or a pharmacist, GP might well bypass that and go straight to themselves um, uh, and then if it's not straightforward or clear and, and the evidence that Margaret picked up is for the lower level things it, you often can be quite straightforward and clear um, like prescribing antibiotics for a simple straightforward infection um, but if it's not then going to a GP um, and also using that GP if needed for referral to someone else. Mm. I mean, uh, the message I would always come back to is is always go go and see your GP and have a low threshold to go into your GP. Um, but you know, part of the problem with doctors, I guess, is that we live these extremely busy lives with you know we're high rates mm. of burnout and high rates of, of commitment um, mm. and you know I imagine for a lot of doctors it's just easy to fall behind the excuse of oh, I just I don't have time to do it so I'll just zing out a script for myself and that'll be that basically. Exactly and again there's been some research on why well why don't doctors go to a GP or go to a doctor. Uh, first of all there's all the reasons why members of the lay public don't go. Mm. Um, they're busy um, they haven't got time, um, they don't think it's important, 
So doctors have all those reasons, but then there are also extra reasons specific to doctors as to why they, why they don't go and uh, seek treatment. And this can range from um, the doctor wanting to treat themselves, uh, and there are some doctors out there who think they're the best doctor in the world and no one could possibly be as good as them, and so they go to themselves for treatment. Um, or it could be doctors who say, oh, it's, it's something minor and I don't want to bother anyone with it. I'll look stupid if I go and it turns out to be nothing. And I did a survey of a straw poll some doctors recently at a conference and about 20% said that they had a, had, a, had a health condition in the last 12 months that they would have recommended a friend go and see a doctor and they didn't go and see a doctor themselves. <laughs> it's so, deplorable, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Look, that I mean, that's a fascinating discussion. So, really, once again, we're sending sending a message: have a low threshold to go and find a GP, um, because there's so much more to the GP consultation. Um, and that your assumption that it's a, a simple thing isn't always factual. We don't make good judgment calls for ourselves, um, and really, that's part of the picture of why doctors have poorer health outcomes. Um, exactly, and. Uh, something else to consider is as I'm getting older and I'm, uh, more things are happening to me, I'm, I'm needing to uh, use a GP myself more. And it actually takes, it's actually a relief going to a GP. You can sort of hand over the responsibility in a sense for your health to someone else. Um, the, the consultation itself with the GP uh, might be a little bit different to a patient because you're talking more on a um, peer-to-peer level. Um, but again, at least the responsibility is shared and it's not just you being responsible. Yeah, and that's an interesting concept actually is the com- the trickiness that it is to be a patient who's a doctor as well because it's actually quite tricky. I, I, you know, the times where I've been a patient, I have to consciously tell myself, no, just be a patient. Try not to, you know, think about what they're thinking so you, you, and predict it or, you know, preempt things. Just be a patient. Just tell it how it is. Don't get too stressed about, you know, so forth. And I, I found that actually surprisingly difficult. Yeah. And uh, again, I don't think there's any hard and fast rules on this. Um, a lot of doctors do contribute to the consultation and the discussion and um, whereas some some don't like to at all, others like to be very involved. So as treating doctors, we need to be aware of that and make allowances for it. Mm-hmm. Um, something else you mentioned when you go and see a doctor, a lot of th- things that put doctors off is just sitting in a waiting room. Yep. So that in itself can be intimidating and, and that's something we talk about at our uh, doctors for Doctors seminars. Yeah, that gave me the fright of my life, just sitting around waiting for 15 minutes to be called mm. in. I was completely stressed by the end of that 15 minutes. Mm. Uh, and you, you start overthinking the whole situation so easily. It's partly that, but it's also partly um, sitting in with patients. And uh, patients are looking at you and wondering if anyone might recognise you <laughs> and say, what are you doing there? So uh, there's lots of little nuances to uh, consider. Look, Dave, that's been an absolutely fascinating discussion. I think it's given us, it should give doctors out there a, a lot of pause for thought, I guess. Um, the message once again, don't treat yourself. Go and find a GP, uh, find your own GP and go on, do what we say to our patients, which is go on the, the life journey with your GP. Have that, 
that uh, continuity because um, it'll serve you best and give you the best health outcomes. But as a doctor, it'll actually improve your patient's outcomes as well. That's right. Well, that's a great point to end it. David, thank you for your time. And uh, that's the good DP. Thanks very much, Tim.